It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. We are three races into the 2023 F1 season, so what picture is starting to emerge from the data? To answer this and other questions, I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Noble and Blake Hinsey, or Break F1, as most of you will know him. Blake is a performance engineer who, working in Formula One, worked for the likes of Red Bull and Force India. Blake is also one of the internet's top content creators. He delves deep into the data each and every race weekend. Welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you back. Let's get straight into it. What can we tell from the data from these first three races, Blake? Well, this is a bit of a weird one because in terms of... It's easy to talk about qualifying pace first. Realistically, we've only had two straightforward weekends. If you go back and look at Australia, everybody was dealing with tyres. And you know when you you have people dealing with warm-up and tyres and tyre preparation, you have the grid shifted all over the place. But... As far as these first three races, it doesn't really seem like the pecking order has changed too much in terms of single lap pace. Uh, the Red Bull, then there's the Aston, then Mercedes kind of tangling a little bit. Um, Ferrari's up there typically, but this race, in terms of the tire preparation, they completely dropped off. Um, Haas, Aston Martin, they've been pretty consistent. And then Mercedes looked to make a large improvement in Australia. And I, one of those things is, did they find something? Or did they improve in terms of the tire preparation or get the most out of that? Because they looked like they knew what they're doing. There's some teams that are, uh, do we do one push, two push, no push, before or build laps for pushing? And Mercedes seemed to be on top of that. And they got a reasonable qualifying out of it. I think Australia was also exaggerated by a lack of free practice and teams' lack of preparedness for dealing with tire preparation issues. By nature of the programs that they'll run in free practice one compared to free practice two, where they're you know preparing to do maximized single lap pusher the race i think is a lot more convoluted to break down in terms of race pace but i think the pecking order is still pretty similar to that one of the interesting things blake is that normally in formula we we find cars that are mighty mighty quick in qualifying like we saw ferrari last year and then kind of trail off in the race or equally cars that are mega in the race 
can't switch the tyres on in qualifying and come from behind and charge through. But the Red Bull doesn't appear to have any weakness. It's, it's got this edge. It's got this edge in qualifying that no one can quite get near. And then in the race, it's gone. Basically, why? why yeah. It seems quite strange. Why? Why do you think it's going that way? I, th- I think you alluded to a, a, a couple of things that teams have struggled with in the past, and it has to do with how they handle the tires. You know, if you're if you're like exact example last year, Ferrari. Uh, for the f- first three quarters of the season, first half of the season, blistering qualifying pace. Um, at the start of the season, they were pretty good on their tires. Then Red Bull kind of caught up. Um, and then they couldn't hang on to the tires, especially after the middle of the season. They were just, you know, Leclerc and Sainz said, we're overheating fronts, overheating rears, everything. Um, I think all this comes down to how good the car is on its tires. And I, I think that's what we've seen is they can get the car, the tires in the window in qualifying and they can run up in the race. The next thing is the car balance characteristics. If they have a car on the same way that like you get tires dialed in for qualifying in the race, if the car balance is both very reasonable in qualifying and the race, then I think we've got something pretty exciting because they're not overusing the tires. They don't need to add a lot of front end, which ends up overheating the rears, which results in degradation at most of the circuits we run across. And then the next thing is they have a clear single lap advantage they can operate the tires in both conditions. And then that gap that we see in the races is just an extrapolation of that gap that they hold in qualifying. If they've got a couple tents, they can easily do a couple tents in the race. If people are having to manage long stints, they, they, they're having to manage more anyway so they don't run off and leave a 30-second gap to the field. We can only speculate at this point. I think one of the things as as fans of the sport is that we kind of want an instant answer and there's no instantness to this answer as well. We want to look around and say, well, what's the one thing that Adrian Newey, the magician, has done so well? And perhaps lots of things that Red Bull have done really well and put together. One of the things we haven't talked about yet is the DRS advantage. Last week we had a video on this channel about the DRS advantage that the team seem to have we saw last time out in australia when max over overtook lewis it's like lewis had pulled the handbrake on it was so easy almost a little too easy we'll come on to that in a bit about how much red bull might or not might not be hiding their pace but can we talk a little bit about the drs advantage is this showing up for you blake in the data you're looking at yeah i mean if you look at the team's ranking in terms of melbourne and drs delta they were Four standout teams. We had Red Bull, we had Haas, Alpha Tari, and Alpine with a large DRS delta. But that's that's only one side of the story. What is their top speed and what is the efficiency of the car? The top speed and DRS delta is a really interesting topic. And it doesn't appear to be an engine power advantage for Red Bull, which is, I think we can conclude, because their sister team, Alpha Tari, have the same engine. And they typically feature in the lower part of the speed traps. So... I believe they're running the same hardware. I don't think teams can run differing specs on a manufacturer. They have to run the same spec, which I think makes sense. But the DRS Delta that Red Bull has is very large, but Haas also have a really large DRS Delta. And uh, and to be fair, in Australia, Haas were very quick in the top speed traps. The thing that they lacked was the downforce. The, the large DRS Delta is kind of twofold. One, the car is efficient and it's efficient everywhere. DRS on, DRS off. But they've, they've got this, the fastest pace as well. So you've got this thing where the DRS is a useful tool in high downforce formulas to make it easier to overtake because they've got so much downforce and drag on the cars, overtaking is quite difficult. And yes, that's fine. But in order for the DRS to be effective, you have to have a pace delta as well. Because if you, let's go back and look at Melbourne in the race and you, you pointed out Verstappen flying past Hamilton 
he flew past him because he had a huge pace delta as well. You look back at the rest of the field, it's not like there were cars out of pace order overtaking each other back and forth. It's one of those things. It seems like a little bit contrived sometime, but the next thing is drag. Drag's very sensitive to a couple things, which rear ride height is one of them. So are they able to operate the car in a way such that their ride height is high or in the right window through the corners and on the straights, it's very low. And we've seen teams do this in the past. Uh, we appear to have lost a lot of the mechanisms that allowed us to do that via the suspension regulation changes or simplifications to make it where you can basically use um, springs and bell bills. No more hydraulics, no more pneumatics, all that stuff. So have they found something there? And then the other thing is, is there, you know, that's changing the states, but have they found a way to generate more downforce in the corners through the states like yaw and roll? And then in the straight line, the car generates less downforce and drag, which I think is kind of the holy grail. And I'm not sure they've pushed so far into that. And that's one of the things I don't know. Everybody's looking, minimize drag and straight line, maximize downforce through corners. Is Are they able to do that better than anybody else? Maybe to a small extent, but I would doubt to that would explain the whole deficit in terms of efficiency, at least. I suppose one one interesting element perhaps may be that and I wonder if, wonder if Red Bull can one run smaller wings than everyone else primarily, that it's producing more downforce under the car that, that as a holistic package. That's where most of its downforce is coming from, which allows it to run smaller wings, less drag, boost the DRS, and it's one of those kind of snowball effects um, that we come from. But I think I'm sure there's engineers at other teams pouring through it all to, to try to work it out. It's super interesting because you've got the, the concept. You've basically changed where the car generates most of the downforce. So you've got this diffuser, you've got the beam wing, and then you've got the rear wing. And then you have very interesting interactions between all three of those elements in terms of how they work together and how you balance that. And that also, like you said, plays to the tune of how efficient is your car. As, as a performance engineer, I think you've probably been on the receiving end of going up against other teams that have had a straight line speed advantage and how you counter that to not be a, a sitting duck in the races. If you're a, a Red Bull rival now, how do you go about addressing this? How do you combat knowing the fact that you can qualify ahead of the Red Bull, you can jump the Red Bull at the start, but once that DRS is in play, they're coming straight past you? Yeah, Even looking at it, like some of the overtakes, I think they would have been maybe not cut and dry overtakes, but they would have been overtakes without DRS in some of these instances in terms of the efficiency of the car. But that's one of those compromises. You've come back to the classic compromise of qualifying versus race pace. So what you would have to do is these teams would probably have to take a hit because because when you look at when teams pick a rear wing, there's an optimum for qualifying and there's an optimum for the race. And often they'll pick wherever they think they'll be stronger to figure think they're going to be uh, compromised during the race, they might opt for a slightly lower downforce. But the problem with that is you can't go too far away from your optimum in either of those cases because you lose too much lap time. And having good pace and good tire management is one of the keys for generating an overtake. What do you do? Uh, you pray. You pray for <laughs> pray for them to have a, a bad race on the tires or something. And that's genuinely, you know, those are the times that you you capitalize on that if your your team make a mistake. We're a couple races in and they've not made too many mistakes. They've, they've had, uh, they've been unlucky, Max and Jetta, with the qualifying pace and everything, but or the qualifying uh, issue, it came back through pretty handily. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And we, exactly as we talked about before is when you've got such a big gap, it's really difficult to compete with that, especially when it's in, you know, qualifying race, top speed, cornering speed, 
you've just described how to build a great car or what a, what a, what a dominant or great car looks like. Do all of those things without having to compromise any of them. I think the other intriguing aspect is, and I think a few arrivals have talked about this already, is how much true pace have we seen of that Red Bull? There's an interesting comment from Helmut Marko after the last race where he's asked, you know, are you, are you holding back? Because the gap kind of was stationed about 11, 12 seconds. And he says, well, let's just say the safety car pit stop loss was 13 seconds and smiled. So uh, I think they know what gap they needed to have. Yeah. Are we seeing anything in the data that Red Bull are holding back? They're winding things down. They're kind of cruising along once they hit a certain pace. I think they will be managing it. And I think when you see cars in the past that have run off like that, they do end up, you don't need to go any faster than you need to go to hold a pit stop gap. Realistically, if you, if you, if you lap the field, okay, now you're, now you're just playing with this. But at the same time, um, a good example is the drama around the, the fastest lap in Jetta. Max pulls out two seconds on a car who they've concerned with the reliability at that point. You know, there's the conversation of the noises coming from the, the back of the car, whatever it was. He waits for the very last lap and confidently pulls out a two second gap and doesn't appear to break a sweat. Could they do that lap for 20 laps in a row? No, I don't think so. They didn't need to. That was that was a different cat and mouse game. But I think genuinely they have more pace in hand. And if even if they did suffer more degradation, they would still be end up being net faster over a stint if they did extract all of that and flex that pace that they have right now. George Russell has made the same point in the last few days as well, saying we haven't seen the true pace because it would be one of those situations where in the past teams have shown their pace for whatever reason, two teammates fighting, they both want to win. And then whether it's catching the eye of the regulators or uh, other bodies in Formula One when perhaps uh, there were... uh, other things that they that could be done to slow a team down so he thinks it's all very tactical and and Red Bull are holding them back but can you just explain from a, an engineer's point of view what when we say turning the car down you know for any of our viewers who might need to catch up a little, a little bit or just need explaining uh, like me you know what does that mean because what you know what I want it to be is Christian Horner sits on the pit wall and is has got this big you know, Dr. Evil dials being like, ah, max down a bit, Sergi, I'm up a little bit. <laughs> That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, exactly. It's like, what? <laughs> What's that? You're not listening? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Down a little bit. Um, I'm sure Christian would love that as well. Uh, but So what do we mean when we say turning cars, you know, turning the car down? Well, there's, there's two things, and one of them actually in recent years I'm not particularly clear on, but in the past you had you have engine settings that you can turn, which will turn the car down from a given power level. You can't turn it up anymore, uh, which was, you know, party mode and everything like that, but I do believe you still can turn it down. Um, and that's that's one factor, but that's usually not a very efficient way of going slower. Uh, the most efficient way of going slower is literally, one, lifting coasting like you're saving fuel, uh, and the other one is two, just backing off through the corner. So and that's what you'll tend to see. It's not like you see when they back it off that they lose 10 kilometers in a straight line. You see them just going slower everywhere, which is indicative of, you know, when you look at data, you can only observe what the driver's extracted from the car. So if that's all you saw, you would say that car is not very fast. And then you see Jetta lap, <laughs> final lap. And it's like, okay, that's where, that's what two seconds a lap looks like. So it's, it is the driver's managing. And one of the key things that you'll hear, um, especially you heard on the radio in Jetta was the race engineers to the Red Bull drivers and other drivers 
probably not so much because they were trying to catch up, but they were giving them a lap time pace. So every time the driver crosses the line, they get a delta and they say, here's your last lap. It was a one minute 32. And the engineer's in their ear, we need to do 133. And they know it's like, right, I need to look at my delta through the lap and I need to kill a second through this lap. And that's that's it. So the, right now, turning the car down is literally the engineers giving the drivers an instructed lap time and just telling them to chill out. Um, otherwise, all the politics is going to happen and they're going to come at them with the, the forks and the knives and <laughs> cut some parts off of their car when they're not looking just to uh, make the racing a little bit more exciting at the sharp end. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brilliant. All right, let's let's on a slightly different topic, uh, but related, the red flag chaos of Albert Park that we just saw had a lot of people in Formula One and us watching at home scratching their heads a little bit. The race was well past 75%, and yet they decided not to just call it a day and hand out full points, but wave a red flag and everyone comes. That was four red flags, but technically three race red flags. And and then do those those restarts. Now, there's also the debate about whether they should have been red flags or safety cars or VSCs or whatever, probably a full safety car to clear up gravel, etc. But but from your point of view, from an engineer's point of view, how do you deal with that stop-start nature? I think one of the most important things, and you see themes that will do well, and nobody really lost out as a result of those other than other things we'll get to. But um, I, I think teams, so you've, you've got the structure, it's, chief engineer, team manager, then chief engineer, race engineers and strategists. When people know the rules and they know how things work, they do not need to have these communication loops. Oh, hey, what do you think about that? You can literally know, like, right, here's the rules and there's a point of contact, right? That's what we're doing. I know the rules. That's what we're doing. And that's fine. And that's how you don't get penalized in, in situations like that. It's like, oh, you're not allowed to do that during this period. You don't have to ask a bunch of questions. Um, and you're prepared for the eventualities. You know... It's the teams think like something happens, a red flag comes out and everybody just panics and like, what do we do? What do we do? That's not what they do. You know, in terms of, let's say in terms of strategy, you've got pit windows. So you discuss them before the race. You clarify them every five laps of the race from the strategist. Like, right, if we have a VSC or safety car now, what do we do on car A and car B? And the the engineers know exactly what they're doing. So if a safety car comes out, they can literally key the radio up and tell the driver uh, box now or box to overtake, which is do the opposite of the driver ahead or stay out. And those those aren't things where it's like, hey, we've got a red flag. Let me just ask the strategists what they think about this and we'll have a conversation. No. I mean, you you, you have seen teams in the past do that where they they seem a bit confused and flustered and that's probably a lack of protocols that help them do that. But most of the teams are very good at that. So preparation is key. Uh, Context and awareness 
and you see teams that have all of those things well do a very good job. But but it's not entirely objective, is it, Blake? Because there are no. there are interpretations, and you know Russell's race was wrecked on Sunday by probably the engine, but also early on the strategy and the the red flag yeah. um, for Albon. How do you dial out the the emotions when things aren't going your way? How do you cope when <laughs> an interpretation? You know, you spend all weekend preparing, you've run your strategy, everything's all planned out, and then someone else's interpretation pulls it away from under mm. your feet. Well, I guess specifically with Russell is the idea of safety car comes out and you're looking at that safety car thinking, we're going to get a great stop. We're going to go under the hards and we're going to go long. And then they pull out the, the red flag and he's like, what? I, I think I think at that time, even the conversations you had with him, you saw him and Toto talking and they were like, we, everybody genuinely looked at that incident and they thought, yeah, that'll be a safety car. And then the, then the uh, stewards decided, okay, or the race director decided, all right, gravel everywhere that's probably a sweeper truck on the track um oh there's been a big impact with the armco there we might need to inspect the tire barriers and it's like it's one of those things and i i, I think mercedes did the right thing there you know you saw them they knew exactly what their scenario was safety car right we're going long on hards i think you can't control that and i think george and toto like you could see their conversation it's like we tried <laughs> we don't know what to do and, and i think george just yeah you know that's out of your control there the, the, yeah, the other the other one is um, Carlos on the the final one. Like, what do you do there? Uh, he was he was distraught, yeah. and it's like it was a mistake. Fine, but he knew exactly what happened when they said you're getting five second penalty. It's like there's an outlap left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's how do you deal with that? Well, fortunately, like hopefully the emotions that you have on that final lap behind the safety car can't interfere with the outcome of your race, particularly. He did. Did he get not get had over a little bit by Hulkenberg, who was having issues? It pushed him even further back. I think there was. I think Carlos tried to drop back, didn't he, from the the train at the coming around the final sequence to build up a gap and then accelerate across the line to see if he could somehow get the magic five seconds. But but it didn't work. And yeah, Hulkenberg had that engine problem and slowed down at the end as well. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, how do you how do you deal with that? Honestly, when you don't. And you see some drivers and teams will get really emotional and flustered. And at that point, your race is already damaged, effectively. So, yeah. And, Reset, and had, try again. <laughs> we heard it all play out on the radio as well with with some passion and some, you know, some lots of passion. But, uh, and th- that's him and that's the team as well. We even had other drivers like Logan Sargent being told, hey, just turn down the, tone down the radio just a little bit because this is all, you know, this is all broadcast. Uh, all of the team radio is, is available. I, I have another a final question for me, actually, uh, because there was a story recently when Stefano Domenicali was talking actually about MotoGP in a different interview and they asked him about Formula One and he made a comment on practice sessions that they're they're useful for pesky performance engineers I'm paraphrasing there uh, but uh, and you know if we got rid of practice sessions which kind of the weather half did for us in Australia uh, that it throws things up in the air and then he had to clarify that to say look it's not it's not what I said but we have a pesky performance engineer on the pod, uh, the, the, the video today so let's ask you how would you feel if, if Fridays disappeared and all of a sudden you're just thrown into maybe one free practice and then qualifying I, I think it's one of those things because when I was at the track and we saw the sprint qualifying format come out. It's like, come on, we get one practice session, then you go into Park Fermi. And as an engineer, we love to mess around. You know, you want to optimize, 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 get the most out of your driver, get the most out of the package. You've tried some new stuff in the simulator. Can we extract that? And you can't really do those development tests on the track. It's like, oh, 
you know, how much does changing the camber, can we get better tire degradation by doing a long run, doing something a bit crazy with a setup? You can't do that anymore. But on the other hand, now that I don't have to do that anymore, and I can just observe <laughs> and enjoy what's happening and, and, you know, understand pace and everything of the other cars, one practice session, I mean, look at this weekend. It was interesting. Did it change Melbourne as a race? No, I don't think so, because I think Melbourne was going to be a, a not particularly exciting one stop. Effectively, Melbourne turned into a hard tire sprint race, bookended by red flags. But I, I think at other events, you will see that shake up the pecking order. Is that artificial to an extent? But realistically, you can get by. You don't need free practice three, in my opinion. Free practice three is a dress rehearsal. And if you've messed up Friday night and you don't have the car sorted by the end of FP2, you very rarely are you going to sort it out on FP3. So can you get rid of FP3? Yeah, I think so. But can you get rid of all the practice? No. Is it unsafe? Also, no. You know, a lot of the people say, well, you know, the drivers don't have time to learn the car. That's true. But when it rains on a rain week, a race weekend, that is the first time that driver has experienced possibly that car, possibly those tires in those track, in those varying conditions, which could be, you know, 20 seconds off the pace. Is that unsafe? Well, it's kind of dangerous, but um, when you buy the ticket to a racing event, it's got that thing on the back that says motorsport is dangerous. So, yeah, I think you can get rid of some of the practice, get rid of all of it. That'll be a little bit, I'd be, I'd bleed a little bit for all the engineers out there. <laughs> well, I think the, the sprint it, races have worked, haven't they? That one hour of one hour of practice and you get, I think the, the, the success of sprints is the impact they've had on the Sundays. I think the all the narrative of all the sprint races we've had, whether it's been, um, you know Russell's win against Max last year, the the Lewis Max collision at Silverstone, <coughs> Ricardo's win at Monza. They've all been elements that have come out of what happened on the Saturday, um, yeah. and be- that, that's come because there's been so little preparation and things are a little bit up in the air and jeopardy is a bit higher. So I think cutting back the practice, it's always that conflict, isn't it? The engineers want as much time as possible to perfect everything, and us watching from the sidelines want things to be as unperfect as possible. Absolutely, John. Well, that seems like a good place to call that one a day as we have taken a look at the data behind uh, the speed on track so far as we've just got 2023 underway. There is actually a bit of a weird break, as we mentioned now, because of the lack of China. So it feels like we've just started and now we're pressing the pause button on the Formula One season. But uh, we will be back before you know it on the podcast channel. Make sure you're listening out for the continuation of our top 10 series with our chief editor, Kevin Turner, uh, finishing off uh, the previous series, uh, but also couple of extra bonus shows to stitch on the end if you love your pre-war stuff or if like me uh, when i made those podcasts with kevin you're gonna learn a huge amount about pre-war grand prix racing uh, which was uh, pretty superficial knowledge uh, for me i must admit and um, those two shows are coming up over uh, the next couple of weekends got the sport three hours to tell you about as well so we'll still be here with plenty to listen out for thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.